0: Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I try to consider and think about and relate Whatever is the next topic of discussion at that time with regard to any particular situation that's going on in our assembly and the next passage in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is pray without ceasing. Well, that one would not be a hard one to incorporate into the present need and situation in in our church, to pray always, pray as an act of prayer, and I had every intention of preaching on that this morning. <clears throat> um, but in the night, last night, I had a dream, and in that dream I was preaching out of Isaiah. And uh, like I said before, I wish y'all could hear the sermon I preach in my dreams. I, sorry y'all get stuck with the ones while I'm awake, but uh, I always get so messed up when I preach in my dreams, I just I just so it up and I just think, oh man, this is you know praise the Lord and hallelujah. And I was on shouting grounds. And anyway, I woke up, it's two thirty, and and I preached twice in my dream. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I hadn't invited anybody to come and speak for us this afternoon. I didn't get to preach last Sunday, so here, and, uh, and I had some particular things on my mind. I thought I wanted to talk to the church about, but. Anyway, in my dream I preached twice on this day and preached to the same people in different places it seems. And I preached out of Isaiah. And uh the main thing I remember saying in my dream was this is the this is what Isaiah is all about. This is the main point of Isaiah and I don't remember all the details and I don't remember what the main point was. Uh and I was a little disappointed that my dream—I just dreamed that I preached. This is this is what Isaiah is all about, and and I couldn't remember whatever it was that Isaiah was all about. Although I could give an opinion on that, and we'll try to—I suppose this morning. Um, but I, I remembered I preached out of the fortieth, forties, and the fifties of of Isaiah, and. And uh, I know there was some focus on the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which is, of course, the chapter on the suffering servant. Um, so I got up and I just, I was afraid I'd lose it if I didn't. So I just got up and started reading uh, Isaiah starting chapter 40, which is, of course, a natural division in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah naturally falls into two divisions, the first 39 chapters and then chapter 40 through 66. And there's such a difference in these two sections of Isaiah that many people have speculated that the same man couldn't have written both of them. And some modern skeptics call them Isaiah one and Isaiah two, but Jesus said Isaiah wrote both of them. That's good enough for me. Uh, But there is there's a change that takes place in Isaiah chapter 40. So I just I was so excited about Isaiah this morning. I I just you know I don't know how to take dreams. As signs or whatever, but I, I just felt like that this would be God's will for me to preach out of Isaiah this morning. So if you want to turn to the 40th chapter of Isaiah, I want to try to speak to you about what is the real point of, of Isaiah. Isaiah was a great prophet, one of the greatest prophets of Israel. He lived during the reign of Many of the kings of Israel, principally during the reign of Hezekiah, who was a good king, and many good things happened during the reign of Hezekiah. But all through Isaiah, the first thirty nine chapters largely deal with woe and curses and and uh, uh, words of doom and destruction he He talks about this nation, then that nation, then Jerusalem, then judah and Israel and, and, uh, it, it's just a lot of, a lot of woe and. Be- now, there's some real bright spots in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, but generally it's more of this classically prophetic kind of thing. Then, then in the 40th chapter to the 66th chapter, the, the, uh, the, the main theme is a positive one. Although there are some, some negative things in, in the second part of, of Isaiah. Right up leading to the fortieth chapter is some historical accounts. Historical account of Hezekiah's near death experience. And how that he prayed and God added fifteen years to his life. And Isaiah gives the the psalm of praise that Isaiah that Hezekiah wrote after God had extended his life. It talks about the invasion of the Assyrians, Sennacherib, and how, how that this invasion threatened the very existence of uh, Jerusalem and Judah and, and would have ended it there, then and there, had it not been for God's divine intervention. Uh, death passed through the camp of, of uh, Sennacherib in the night, and they woke up the next morning, and, and, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of men just lay dead all around, and horses were dead, and and God gave a, a miraculous deliverance to Jerusalem uh, during that time, and Hezekiah and Isaiah were very confederate during this time, uh, the king and the prophet working together. The last episode that's given is, is the unhappy episode of Hezekiah's, um, I guess we could call it somewhat of his pride. In dealing with the Babylonian uh, uh, ambassadors. They came from Babylon. This was a place where they knew little of. There was certainly no threat. Uh, Assyria was the threat to Israel at that time. And so Hezekiah just opened up everything he had to, to these Babylonian ambassadors and showed them all the riches of his kingdom. And and, uh, his, and Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, and, uh, "Who were those men? Oh, they were ambassadors from way over in Babylon. Babylon. Well What did you What did you say to them? Well, I, I showed them all of our riches. I showed them how how wealthy we were. And Isaiah immediately blamed Hezekiah for that and began to prophesy and say, "These men, to whom you have shown the riches," Of Jerusalem, this nation will once will will someday come and destroy this city and take away all this wealth, but it won't be in your day. And so, so then he begins to talk in chapter forty. Here's the break. Chapter thirty nine is is uh, this unhappy episode of the Babylonian envoys and and the warning of captivity. And then of course we know from history that Isaiah, his prophecies proved true, although a hundred years later. And these Babylonians did come. They did conquer Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. They did destroy the city. They did carry away all the wealth of, of, of Jerusalem into, into Babylon. And for 70 long years, the children of Israel languished in that captivity. And, there we have the books of Daniel and, and, uh, and Ezekiel accounting this what is commonly referred to in biblical history as the Babylonian captivity. It was the darkest, deepest uh, uh, distress that the children of God had ever experienced, that, that Jerusalem had ever experienced. And then, of course, under Nehemiah uh, and Ezra, and others, they rebuilt the city, came back, and the books of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Ezra tell about that. So there's a there's a setting given here for this transition that Isaiah makes here in in his book. And he starts off with these words, and it's it's a little bit of a lengthy reading, but I want to read the whole 40th chapter of Isaiah. Comfort ye... Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of Him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass." The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up to the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in His arms and carry them in His bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord or being His counselor hath taught Him? With whom took He counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the paths of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto Him? The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He he seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Had it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants of thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in that brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stocks shall not take root in the earth. And He shall also blow upon them and they shall wither and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who has created these things, and brings out their host by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of His power, for that He is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've always loved the 40th chapter of Isaiah because it contains in it the whole gospel message. It contains contains the, the reason why we should trust the gospel message. And then it gives us the consequences or the results of trusting the gospel message. Okay, prophetically, where's Israel here? They are in the deepest, darkest captivity of their existence. Babylon has carried them off in prophetic, as Isaiah is looking forward prophetically here. They've been carried off into Babylonian captivity. They have cried out to God in their distress. One of the most uh, depressing psalms in all of the Scriptures, the one that was written where they were on their way into Babylonian captivity, and their captives said, Play for us some of the famous songs of Zion. They said, We hung our harps upon the willows and said, We can't sing those songs. In our in our utter distress, how could we sing any song of, of cheerfulness or praise to God? We cannot sing in such a state as this. And so for these 70 long years, they were in Babylonian captivity. But my friends, there's something here portended that is far greater than a Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity was only a picture and a type of a captivity which is far more horrendous than to be carried off into a foreign land to live for the rest of your life. Far more horrendous than to see your city destroyed by fire. Far more horrendous than seeing all of your religious artifacts carried off captive to be put into the false temples of false gods. I'm telling you, friends, there is a captivity that's far worse than this, and it is the captivity of sin. Because sin always brings with it chains. There are always chains in sin. There is always enslavement in sin. When sin has finished, James said, it brings forth death. It brings forth separation from God. And the worst kind of sin, the worst kind of darkness there is in this world is a separation from God. Now, if Israel's case looked hopeless, and to the natural eye, Israel's case must have in this circumstance looked hopeless. How would you have liked to have lived 100 years after this in the days of Jeremiah? And to see all of the things that Isaiah prophesied of coming to pass. And all of these horrendous things happening to your nation. And could you have a positive thought? Could you have any hope that one day this could be reversed? What kind of power could ever reverse the horrendous catastrophic national events that are taking place all around you? And I'm sure to the eye of man, there was no hope. There was no prospect. There was nothing that could help them except to believe in the power of God. And so that is set forth here in this passage of scripture. And so just out of the blue, the, the prophet says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Now the word people here always refers to the Jews, the people. Yea, the people is grass. He's talking to the Jews here. He's talking figuratively of the people of God, His people, His children. Comfort ye My people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned for she has received the Lord's hand double for all her iniquities. He says here to cry this out. Don't speak tamely. Don't speak lamely. Don't speak timidly. Cry out. This is an amazing thing. This is a glorious thing. Cry unto her. What? That her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now here is a word of comfort. He's, he's speaking to Israel in its deepest, darkest hour, and he says, here is your comfort. God has accomplished your warfare. God has brought about what you cannot possibly imagine. He has brought about the deliverance of his people out of this Babylonian captivity. And he has brought about a victory, victory in this great struggle in which they are, they are uh, engaged. And he says here that their iniquities have been pardoned for they have received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so it is to the child of grace when he sees himself lost and helpless and undone before a holy God. And what could Jeremiah do in the day in which this happened but say, this is what we deserve. This is what God said He would do. We have not listened to God and this is what's happened to us. We deserve all of this. But still, Jeremiah cried out in great lamentation and writes the book of Lamentations, there's a great sadness in his soul, and he thinks, who could deliver us from this? I tell you my friends, this other captivity that is of a far worse nature, this captivity in sin, this, this being in bondage to sin and corruption is a far deeper, darker hole than the Babylonian captivity which pictured this type of sin. When Isaiah spoke, you know what I always marveled at this. He told Hezekiah, "This won't happen in your day." And Hezekiah's response almost seems cold. He says, "Kind of, well, I'm glad to hear that. It won't be." In, he says, "It won't be in my day." So all is well. Well, it came in somebody's day, and it came in Jeremiah's day. But when it finally came, do you know how hateful and ugly? Sin is. I'll tell you how hateful and ugly sin is. And to, to see it, one only has to look at its end—the end of sin. What did James say was the end of sin? Death. And there is nothing. There's nothing but ugliness about death, humanly speaking. You know, I've just watched my father die, and. And uh you know what I wanted to do? as soon as my dad drew his last breath? It's crazy, I know. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to close his mouth. He'd lain there for days with his mouth gaping open, and it, it just looked so unnatural. It looked so hideous even. It looked so unappealing. And I I I knew my dad would be appalled to to you know for people to come in him just be sitting there with his head thrown back and his mouth open. So as soon as he died, I thought, well maybe he's relaxing. I tried to push his jaw up, closes just to close his mouth. Well, I don't know how they do it at the funeral homes, but nothing doing. And and as he lay there, and and his feet turned cold, and 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 drew his last breath, I thought. This is ugly and all I wanted to do was end. I just wanted this to be over for him. And then you look around and you see sickness. But, you know, it doesn't just take death and sickness. You know, you look at the lives of people who have toyed with sin. Who thought, as did many people in Isaiah's day, Well, it will never happen to me. I could engage in sin. I could engage in rebellion against God. I could walk away from God. I can turn away from God, and someday I'll just walk right back. But all oh, my friends, I may tell you that sin is far more hateful than to just let you walk right back. God, in mercy, might turn you, but even in the turning, there is there is such a a an intensity of 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 emotion and spiritual struggle and warfare. And so what Isaiah says is, don't go down this path. Turn to the Lord. He will be gracious unto you. And so I would say to all of you this day and all of us here in our hearing, and sometimes we we try to impress this on the young people, but this is something that should be impressed upon all of us. Sin, as we have heard it said before, always takes you farther than you want to go and costs you more than you want to pay. And finally, once sin has a person in its grips, there is no undoing of sin's horrible grasp except in what Christ has done. Can you see then why He would call out in these words of, of cheer? He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And so the gospel speaks comfort to the children of God. It speaks comfort to those who are uncomfortable. To those who feel a comfort in their sins. The gospel has nothing to say. If I live to this afternoon, I want to speak from the fifty-fifth chapter of Isaiah. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth. There's a message here to thirsty ones. There's a message here to those who are longing for something. There is a message of comfort to the uncomfortable. But oh, how many people are out there in sin and and lot in the bondage of sin, and they feel absolutely comfortable. There's little if any stirring of regret in their souls. There's little if any stirring of, of remorse in their souls for their rebellion against God and their hatred for God. Yea, they would go headlong into that with all of their energy, sometimes if it were not for the fact of maybe Mama and Daddy would be disappointed or, or what would people think. But I tell you, my friends, even that cannot stop. the the headlong run into hell that sin always brings unless checked by Him who alone can check this horrendous captivity. And so the Gospel message is that there is comfort in what Christ has done. Comfort ye my people. Say unto her that her warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. And so the Gospel message is to those who are uncomfortable, to those who are thirsty, to those who who are heavy laden who are burdened and heavy laden the gospel message comes and says there is hope there's hope in Christ you cannot accomplish your own warfare you cannot win this battle against sin it will drag you inexorably into hell and there's no turning back but only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ only through the through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Can anyone find deliverance from this most horrible of captivities? Your warfare is accomplished. Your iniquity is pardoned. For you've received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That last phrase has caused commentators a lot of head scratching. What does it mean? He has, that he has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Well, twice, as it were, what it deserved. What what did Israel deserve? Well, to be banished from Jerusalem and in captivity. They deserved that. What does every sinner who has ever lived on this planet deserve? My friends, they deserve to be forever banished from the presence of God in a captivity which is far worse than the Babylonian captivity. Far more eternal than the Babylonian captivity. That That is that to which every sinner who has ever, ever breathed on the planet is deserving of so what can what can what can turn that well he's about to tell us in these next verses here and we clearly know what this is talking about it has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins what if what if for your sins God were to banish you forever from his presence we call that hell what if God did that? Is that what you deserve? If you think aright, you know. It. That's what you deserve. How in the world can that ever be undone? My friends, the only way it can be undone is through what's presented in these next few verses. But to say that to you is this. If you were sent to hell, if you were separated from God, if you bore the wrath of God it'd just come one time, that'd be it. and You deserved it and there you go. But the remedy, that which brings the comfort, the warfare being accomplished, the iniquity being pardoned, my friends, that came at the price of God Himself becoming a man, taking upon Himself the form of human flesh, and then for Him to bear in His own body the the awful wrath and indignation of God. Surely, surely that's twice what it's worth. Once what it's worth is you being forever banished from the presence of God. But for the Son of God Himself to experience this upon the cross wherein He cries, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? For He Himself to have borne that iniquity, surely this is twice what it deserved. But this is what had to happen for you to be redeemed from hell. Because if you being sent to hell was just judgment, what would it take to redeem you from that? My friends, it would take the perfect righteousness of God Himself on your behalf. And the good news of the Gospel is, the comforting news is, He has won the war for you. He has borne your iniquities upon the cross. And so He says here, He starts immediately into what the New Testament tells us very plainly, is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He speaks in prophecy here of John the Baptist. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every, every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. How is this going to happen? The mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. John came and preached it and the Lord Jesus Christ lived it. And then it says the voice said, cry Cry out! He said, "What? What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass." <clears throat> this word picture is given many times in the Scripture. Grass, vegetation. You know what? You know what's true about vegetation. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's only here for a little while. The flower comes up. We we have we have what we call uh, day lilies, and it's the time of year for them to spring up. About two dozen sprang up in Elmo's yard a couple weeks ago, and uh, they're real pretty. But they just they're just up and they're gone. So when I came mowing, I, I mowed around them. I didn't want to cut them down. They're just so pretty. Well, just one week later, I came back to that same spot. All those beautiful I'll just call them pink. I don't know all the colors. These pink, beautiful flowers here that all turned brown and withered. And I just ran over them with a the lawnmower. Because they weren't they weren't anything to look at anymore. They were they were past looking at. And so there's a message here for us in the, on the heels of this. There is an abysmal darkness of sin and and uh, captivity. There is great deliverance through Christ. Ah, but a person might be tempted to think, I can be good enough myself. Or even worse, he might be tempted to think, well, I'm, I'm not so bad. I mean, uh, just look around. I've had people actually say this to me. Just look around. I'm, I'm not as bad as the people who do this and this and this. I'm I'm not quite that bad. Oh, listen, my friends. There is no hope for anyone who tries to fight this warfare on his own. You can't win because all flesh is as grass. And, And he says, the grass withers and the flower thereof fades away. But I tell you, there's something that will always stand and stand forever and that is the Word of God. The revelation of God. The, the giving of the mind of God and the purposes of God and the will of God, that will stand forever. Let no man think that he will stand on in and of himself. Let no man think that I'm strong enough to handle this. I'm young. I'm virulent. I can do this. Ah, oh, because God could cut you down in a moment. You think cancer is just for, for old folks like my dad, 76 year old. No. It's for fifty How old am I? Three year olds like Sharon. And thirty something year olds like Ellen. And thirteen something year olds like Brittany Stanland down there in down there in Florida. And Saint Jude's Hospital is full of children who are dying with all forms of who knows what. And is full of people who, who have been injured by God knows what, as well as sick from other other things. No, my friends. There is no safety, there is no security in youth. There is no safety security and strength. One of the things that was commented about, about my dad was he attended he attended the funeral of his brother in law four months before he died. He was in his full strength, he was doing well, and, and people who who only saw him infrequently were just amazed that in four short months he has been brought down to this point of, of death. But I tell you, my friends, there's no security, there's no hope, there's no safety in anything in this world. Jeremiah said it like this in the ninth chapter, I believe. He said, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. But let him that glory in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord, who executes righteousness and judgment in all the earth. My friends... It's a great thing to have your health. It's a great thing to have your strength. But that could be taken away in a moment. And in fact, it will be taken away in a moment. You just ask anybody here who's over 70 years old and and ask them, how long is 70 years? And you know what they'll say? Not long. It has gone by fast. They all prophesy and say that. When you're 10, 70 looks like a thousand light years away. But when you're 70, it looks like just but a little while. Because all flesh is like grass. And the flower of the grass withers, the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord shall stand forever. What is the Word of the Lord? It's this comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. My friends, the only hope that I set before you this day as a minister of the Gospel of Christ is I set before you a hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I set before you only salvation and security in Him. And there's none to be found anywhere else. And so my words to you this day is to flee to Christ for real safety. Flee to Christ for this salvation. For He alone is worthy. He alone is able to save to the uttermost them who come unto Him by faith. Oh, but can this God actually do this? Is there really a God in the heavens who has this power? Well, the next section in this chapter answers that question. He tells us here, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Who can measure the waters? John, how much water can you hold in in the palm of your hand? A few ounces maybe, two or three ounces. About all you can get in the palm of your hand. God can measure the ocean in the palm of His hand. He says, he, that is, uh, and meted out heaven with the span of His hand. Matthew, what could you measure with the span of your hand? Oh, you might measure 20 or 30 feet. You'd get pretty tired of going that route, wouldn't you? But God holds His hand up here and He has, compassed, has encompassed the universe. He has measured the heaven with the span of His hand. He weighs the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You know, the scales that we might weigh a few grams of something in, maybe even a few pounds of something in. God can measure the mountains. What He's telling us here is the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. And He kind of goes into this Job kind of thing. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world, God asked Job. And so He's telling us here, where were you? When I did all of this, who will you liken me unto? There is none like unto me. There's none who can, can just create the physical universe. And if he can do that, if God has that kind of power in all heaven and earth, my friends, God has the power to save to the uttermost those who come unto, unto Christ by faith. He's able. Oh, let it not be thought by anyone that, that God does not have the ability to save, for he does. That's what this chapter talks about. The whole nations are just a drop in the bucket. The United States and all of its allies and all of its enemies in this bucket is just a drop. We're nothing. God is everything. And so he says here, don't think Jacob, which is Israel, why sayest thou, verse 27, oh Jacob, and speaketh, oh Israel, my way is hid from the Lord. Ah, uh, can you hide from Him who measures the universe by the span of His hand? Can you hide from Him who holds the waters of the, of the world in the palm of His hand? Could you hide from Him who measures, who can weigh the, the mountains in a scale? My friends, you cannot hide from Him. Don't think God will not see it. God will not regard it. For indeed, He will. Hast thou not known that, and hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Jehovah, the Creator of the ends of the earth, faints not? He doesn't get tired. Neither is weary. There's no searching of His understanding. And so what does God do? He gives power to the faint. And to them who have no might, He increases strength. Now, you know who that comforts? More proportionally, I guess we could say, the one who feels his weakness. The one who feels in the physical sense, you know, as far as I know, none of you is contemplating a trip to the doctor. You don't think you're sick. Nothing wrong with you. You would only go if you think there's something, something maybe wrong with you. Because we're strong. And so when a person feels like he's strong in himself, and he's strong enough to toy with sin, and he's toy, he's strong enough to, to dance with Satan for a little while, he's in trouble. But to those who understand, I have no strength in myself, who cry out, Lord, save me or I perish, he gives, he gives power to the faint, and to them who have no might, he increases strength. And so I love these last two verses, which we all love. He said, even the youth shall faint and grow weary. I look out over the young people in our congregation here. I marvel at their energy. I marvel at their strength. And we're we're heard to say among ourselves, don't you wish you had some of that energy? But you know what? Even at the end of the day, the young people, they grow weary and they faint. Because even the youth, even the youth cannot go forever. They must stop. There's no strength in man that will last forever. There's no strength in man that will run the course of God's expectations. My friend, God's course is longer than you can run. But I'm telling you today, there's one who has run it for you. Your warfare is accomplished. Your iniquity is pardoned. For you've received of the Lord's hand double for all your sins. Even the youth shall faint and be we weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord. Wait upon. That's, that's like a waitress in a, in a restaurant. It's not waiting for. I love the thought of waiting for Lord, the Lord in the second coming. But this is not talking about that. It's waiting upon. This is serving. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who serve the Lord, Oh, this is like recharging the batteries perpetually in the life of the child of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall, they shall walk and not faint. And so you observe, just in the physical realm, people who, who uh, are physically sick, We were sharing yesterday, lying in the hospital, physically in not good condition. Broken out all over her body of these little red splotches. Having to get blood and platelets and and chemicals invading her body to hopefully kill out all of this stuff. Well, how's a person like that supposed to be? By, By all human standards. Well, they're supposed to be kind of down in the mouth and what was me. But not sharing. When when we were with her yesterday, of course, she probably collapsed and Jimmy saw it when we left. You know, that's the way things like that go, and that's fine. That's what husbands are for and wives. But she was waiting on the Lord. She's trusting in the Lord. And she's got strength that she's not supposed to have. She's got a will from, from God that, that strengthens her in this. Then it's not just talking about physical things, though. It's probably not even actually talking about. It's talking about this, my friends. There is not a one of you who has probably not contemplated somewhere along the way, I, just, I can't do this. I just, I just can't do this. And... And the devil comes and tells you something stupid, and you almost believe it, that, you know, you'd just be better off just going off somewhere, hiding somewhere, running off, leaving your responsibilities, going somewhere else. You know, people do it all the time. They often abandon their families. Children run away from home. Uh, daddies run away from home. Mamas run away from home. It happens all the time where people just kind of mentally or emotionally bail out of life. And we see in those people. And have compassion because we see in those people ourselves. And sometimes we think the same hateful things. And we get tired of running we get tired of fighting the battles. We get f- tired of, of engagement in the warfare. And by nature, and by the works of the flesh, and by the strength of your own arm, you will grow weary, and you will faint. That's why the Bible is so full of exhortation. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Sometimes young people think, I could just get away from my mom and daddy and get out there and really live a little in the world out there. But then they find out that all that's out there in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is calculated to do nothing but drag you down to hell. That's all that's good for. That's all it's ever done. That's all it ever will do. And sometimes we, we can get so weak in ourselves that we think, I quit. I quit. But they that wait upon the Lord. Those who receive comfort from the, from the Word of God. Those who have heard the joyful tidings and lay hold of by faith the glorious truth that our warfare is accomplished. Whatever it is we're engaged in in this world, whatever struggles we have, be they physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, whatever they might be, there is victory through this God who measures the heavens by the span of his hand. Who, who can measure the oceans in the palm of His hand and weigh the hills in a balance. This God who has all power in heaven and earth, and you who have no power on earth are like the grass which, which withers away. When we wait upon the Lord, when we serve the Lord, and when we're faithful to God, when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ and we stay faithful in the struggle and we keep on going, you know what we find? We find just the opposite of what you would expect to find in such a thing. You would expect weariness, faintness, dropping out. But no. Miraculously, from the hand of God, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My friends, we have a great God in the heavens. And it's a good thing, isn't it? Because we have great struggles here in this world. We're grass and we need His help. But the good news is, the warfare is accomplished. Iniquity is pardoned. Christ has paid the debt. And now what remains for you to do is be faithful. Stay in the battle. Stay it, because it's won. You know you you know the story of Ben Hur. The Roman admiral, when he thought the war was lost, tried to take his own life, and Ben Hur stopped him. Remember, in the book, and it wasn't long till he found out that the ships that are still afloat out there are Roman ships. The back, the battle's actually won. Well, you see, that's the way it is with the child of grace. Sometimes when he's in the midst of the battle, he needs to remind himself that the battle's won. And I don't know if that's the purpose of Isaiah. But I'm telling you, that's the purpose of that chapter of Isaiah. To show forth the greatness of Christ and the salvation which is in Christ and the strength that comes to the child of God when He lays hold upon Christ and walks with Him. May God bless us in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that this wonderful chapter in the scriptures is here. Behold us, Lord. You you have well stated our case. We're just grass. It's just here for a little while, and then gone. And Lord, sometimes we we grow weary and faint, and sometimes we don't understand the things that are happening around us and. And sometimes, Lord, we confess to You what You know right well, and that is that we are tempted sometimes to quit and wonder why and ask why. But, O oh, Father, I pray that You would bless us as Your children to lay hold of always and every day the finished work of Jesus Christ, the accomplishment of our warfare, the pardon of our sins, And to know that the great God of heaven is able to do that. and Father, we know that that God is absolutely able to raise Sharon and Ellen off of these beds of affliction upon which they lie this day. We know You have that power. We pray that You would exercise that in their behalf, Lord, and grant Your healing mercies to them. But Lord, even if You have some other purpose for their lives, And their bodies may grow weaker and more faint and finally fail. Would You bless them, Lord, their spirits to mount up with wings like eagles. Bless their families to wait upon the Lord and renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. We love You and we praise You, Lord, for Your strength, Your power, and Your goodness. We thank You, Lord, that right in the middle of this chapter, it is said of our God, who has such power that He carries His lambs, in His bosom. And He gently leads those that are with young. And so, Father, we love You for Your goodness and Your patience with us. Pray that You would bless us this day to be renewed in our strength to continue in the battle whose warfare is already won. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.